get one, need some coloring. If you want to listen today, that's good. We're certainly glad to have you in here with us. Going to be hopefully fairly brief. You don't hear me say that often, right? But it'll be, uh, we're going to look today at just a transition in the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn in the book of Acts to chapter 8. We spent a few moments last week together looking at the, um, really a summary, if you will, of Acts chapters 1 through 7. If you missed that, I want to encourage you to go back and can maybe listen to the podcast or check it out online if you want to kind of get up to speed with where we are. We talked about how at this particular point, the church is no longer limited to what's going on in Jerusalem. It's been scattered out, and we're going to kind of today's message is from Acts chapter 8, just four verses, um, how the church is scattered. You know, I was thinking for just a minute, I mean, the church is really scattered today. I've t- seen people online who are from all over the place, from Morgan City, from New Orleans, from Mississippi. They're all having to be kind of what? They're literally getting scattered from their homes because of this approaching storm. And being scattered is really a part of life. And we're going to talk some more about that. I'm going to read these four verses to you. Uh, if you don't mind, won't you stand just as we honor the public reading of the word? It's only four verses. So won't you stand with me? In Acts chapter 8, starting in verses 1 through 4, it says, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered shared the good news about Jesus wherever they went. May God bless the public reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, I'm going to basically just look at some of the phrases that are here so that we can get at what God wants us to hear from the scriptures. You know, I believe that preaching is to expose what the Holy Spirit wants us to get from the scriptures. Now, we are introduced again here. We had a very brief mention of Saul. He was the one who held the coats we found in chapter 7 of the people who literally stoned Stephen. Now we get a little further information about Saul, who later becomes Paul, which we're going to hear about, and so we don't want to miss this. He's a major character in the story of Christianity. But Saul was one of the, one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Now I want to point out here, the text wants us to understand that he wasn't just an innocent bystander. Okay, Matter of fact, oftentimes we're none of us, or many times we're not innocent bystanders. Now there are instances where we can be innocent bystanders, caught up in something that may be bigger than us and we didn't know. We saw that in some of the folks who were caught up in Jesus' crucifixion. People who just came to Jerusalem for Passover. And all of, somehow we're swept up into all of this, okay? Saul was not in this particular category. The Bible wants us to know clearly that he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but there is a point here that we should remind ourselves of. And remember, just because you don't get your hands dirty doesn't mean you're not guilty. You see, a lot of people want to let other folks do the dirty work and they stand back, but they're in complete agreement with what's happening. You can't hide from God. Just because you don't do the deed and just because you don't get your hands dirty doesn't necessarily mean that you are innocent. And the Bible wants us to understand that Saul at this point was in complete agreement with him and he was guilty 
by the fact that he agreed with them and he supported what they've done. This is why we have to be careful. If we agree and support things that are unrighteous, that are wrong, we can become culpable. And that's the case here with the Saul. Now, we jump there to the next little phrase there, and we see that as a result of what Saul was doing here, after the stoning of Stephen, what does it say here? It says a great wave of persecution began that day. Now, I think there's a few things that we can take from this that will help our understanding. Is persecution does come in waves, all right? It's not like it's a constant thing. As a result of the momentum that was created, the fervor and the, the animosity towards this church, at the stoning of Stephen, what happens? A wave of persecution begins on that day. Now, that wave of persecution has continued throughout the history of the world. It's going on even today. There are people in other countries, many of the underdeveloped countries in Africa are in sub-Saharan Africa, and the believers there are under tremendous persecution. It's like a tidal wave upon them. Many of us have watched in horror at some of the footage that we've seen coming out of Afghanistan related to what's taking place in their geopolitical world. Needless to say, I've seen several emails and prayer requests from believers in Afghanistan who are under a tremendous wave of persecution to the point of even torture and death. There's an organization called the Voice of the Martyrs. There are many people throughout the world who are under a wave of persecution. And we should certainly support them in prayer. When we can, we support them in other ways. When we gather together, it's kind of sad that we don't think of them often. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering even physical and mental and terrible persecution, we should remember them in prayer, pray for their safety, and pray for God's presence to be upon them. And this should not surprise us. It doesn't surprise many of the folks who were under persecution who listened to what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. When he was here, listen to what Jesus told his very disciples. They, they may not have been in complete awareness of it each moment, but certainly they remembered back what he said. What did he say? If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. You see, unfortunately, we have become so soft in our thinking. We have embraced the world. We want to be accepted by the world. We want to what? We want to belong to the world. I mean, we want the systems of this world and all of the ways of thinking of the ruler of this world to like us. And so we create our religious expressions in a way so that everyone feels good and everyone likes what we say. It's a great message. But the problem is not everyone in the world wants to hear the message of God, which is you are a sinner. 
You think bad thoughts. You do wrong things. You go to the wrong places. Matter of fact, you were steeped in brokenness from the very beginning. This is not a popular message. This is not the message the world wants to hear. And we should not change the message so that the world will want to hear it. We're called to share the message and the world can embrace God or they can choose their own path. That is not our decision to make. But we should choose to realign our own life according to his truth instead of, here's what we do. We try to shade the truth to fit what we want it to be. And this leads to tremendous problems. However, if we hold fast to the truth, the truth that Jesus gave us when he was here, the truth that the apostles and all those that says, hey, you have to repent of your sins to come to God, you will experience persecution. Fortunately for us, and I thank God every day, fortunately for us, we live in a country where we don't face physical, literal persecution like some of our other brothers and sisters do. This is a result, a direct result of our forefathers in the faith who founded a country based on Judeo-Christian principles, on the principles of religious liberty. And dear friends, if you think that it can't be lost, you have your head in the sand because it's, it can be lost within a generation or two if we don't protect it, if we don't stand up for religious liberty, even for those that we may not agree with. Because there are forces in this world that are trying to erode and take away our liberties. All liberties. Hopefully, prayerfully, our country never gets to that place. But if it does, don't worry. Our call is most assuredly not first and foremost to the flag of this great United States of America as much as we love our country. Our call as Christians is, and our allegiance is first and foremost to the cross of Jesus Christ. And we have to be very careful that we don't confuse the two. Yes, we are patriotic. Yes, we stand for liberty. Yes, we, you know, yes, we should, I believe, stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Stand and honor this country. Make it a great country. Do the best that you can. But ultimately, remember, this nation is not what will save you. This nation will ultimately move, rise, fall with the ebb and flow of time. But what will not fall, what will never change, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you find yourself in a position, as I see some, who have more allegiance to the United States of America than to the cross of Christ, you have to pause. Because no idol, no idol can stand above the Lord Jesus Christ if you're one of his followers. But persecution has been there. Unfortunately, it still exists. In our life, we see it in subtle ways. In your job, stand up for truth and righteousness, and it will not always be met with a high five. Oftentimes, they will do what? Hmm, well, we're going to go a different deal. He doesn't bend. She doesn't bend. 
Stand up for truth and honor where you are, treating people fairly, doing the right thing. And you may not move up the ladder because people have created systems that reward those who do what they want them to do and bribery and all these treachery and things of that nature. No, but you have to embrace that persecution if you want to follow in the way of the master. In their day, it was a tremendous wave of physical, physical persecution that began, that even continues to this day. And the reason Jesus warned them and by nature warns us is because there is an enemy of this world. He's seeking to steal, kill, and destroy everything that's good. And the church, as it should be, is great. It's good. It's helping people. Now, it doesn't always manifest itself like that because of brokenness, but it, in theory, is God's good news, his message. It began that day. Now, next, really real quick in this, in this particular passage, look what it says. It says, all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Very interesting here, the word that is used. In Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, there's two words for scattered. The one word that's often used has to do if someone dies. You've heard of someone who passes away and they say they scatter their ashes to the wind. All right? It has an implication that it's wherever the wind blows. It's actually the more common word used for scattered. However, that's not the word used here. The word used here is scattered in a sense like someone who's a farmer who scatters seeds in a very specific way. And so there's an interesting thing and a truth here that we have to realize is that while there's tremendous persecution going on with these believers, no, there's not, it's not positive, okay? Man's stoned to death. We find out later that they're doing what? He's going house to house dragging people out, men and women. I mean, he's not doing, this isn't good. But even in what is bad, there is the implication that God is a part of the process that even in this scattering, God is working. Have you ever felt scattered? Now, not scatterbrained, okay? I mean, I know that's how I feel a lot of time. I'm scatterbrained, okay? But, but that may be part of it. You ever felt like just scattered and like you didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle and it wasn't all working together? There's probably people today, probably, I, if I had to guess, there's probably people stuck in traffic on an interstate trying to get out of town. There's people who are thinking, even I've heard today, stayed behind to what? Try to make sure that the water is not going to go through the windows and tear up their... I mean, look, you think that's, that's pretty scattered in your mind, right? you got to figure out, hey, what am I going to do if this happens? People with family members who are in harm's way. I read the story of family members from some of the fallen Marines mourning the death of their loved ones. Their thoughts are scattered. Look, a lot of life is being scattered. Scattered in our thoughts, scattered in our relationships, scattered in our finances, scattered in our purpose. But let me ask you, when your life is scattered, is it more like ashes to the wind, nobody knows where it's gonna happen? Or have you kind of paused and thought, you know what, even though things are scattered, God's doing this part. And he's going to help align and make things go where they need to go. It really hits home and makes you think about what Paul tells us, that all things are working together. 
for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. That doesn't mean that there's not some pain. Doesn't mean that there's some heartache and some discomfort involved. But man, doesn't it help you to know that, man, if I just, if I, if I stay true to what God has called me to do, if my faith stays strong in him and I rely on him, that even in this scattering, things are going to end up where they need to be. Verse 2. This is just, it's actually in the modern translations, they put it in parentheses because it's like a side note. So I don't say a whole lot, but I do want to uh, make something known here. It says, some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. Now you may say, why is that there? The writer wants us to know that not all of the Jewish people were against this new Christianity. Some of the devout men, they actually went and got Stephen's body and they buried him and, and they, they actually had a time of great mourning. Now you may go, well, why, does, why does it say that? It's not in there for no reason. You see, in, according to Jewish law and Jewish customs, it was against the law to mourn publicly someone who had been executed. So what does the writer want us to know? Is that some devout men were willing to stand up and they even had a public mourning of Stephen's death even though that was pro you know, prohibited according to the law. And look, this, this is still true today. Not, no plate organization is all bad. There were some bad people, but there were some good people. But we're going to come back to this. It's who leads the charge. Who creates the movement? Who, who is the one that takes the momentum and moves the ball along? And in this place, it happens to be some of the wrong characters. And the wrong person or the right person, depending on your perspective, was a guy named Saul. It says in verse 3, But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. Look, he's a man on a mission. He's going everywhere to destroy the church, the Bible says. That's his goal. And he's not just doing it if they show up at the synagogue or if they go to the temple for worship. No, sir. He's doing what? It says that he's going from house to house. I mean, he's not just waiting on the church to get together so he can find them. He goes into detective mode. He's not just patrolling to use some cop language here. He's not just patrolling, waiting to see them. No, sir, he's going to get them from house to house, dragging out men and women to throw them into prison. Now, why is he doing this? We know later, we find out that Saul believes that he's doing the right thing for God. Now, how often have I said this, and it's so, so important, just because you think you're doing the right thing doesn't make it right. Saul is willing to do some tremendously terrible things for what he feels is right. And as a result, what's happening? This scattering is taking place. I wonder if those folks who were in the midst of the persecution of someone who's trying to literally destroy the church remembered. And I'm sure they did because it says what the apostles, they didn't scatter. They stayed behind. Even though Stephen was stoned, the, the original apostles, they didn't leave. All right? I bet you it's because they might have remembered what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. You remember that? Whenever Peter made his declaration of Jesus as the Christ, 
And Jesus looked at Peter and he said in Matthew 16, verse 18, he says, Now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell shall not conquer it. Look, you don't have to worry about God's church. All the forces of darkness will not destroy it. All the forces of hell will not conquer the mission of the church of Jesus Christ. You know what? It disables the mission of the church. Not the forces of darkness from the outside, but the weak faith and the brokenness from inside. The people who don't embrace the message. You see, everywhere that you go that the church is persecuted, whether it's Afghanistan whether it's the Middle East, whether it's in these African countries, you realize that people in broken places, they, they, they have, they're completely aware of their mortality. Way more than you and I. See, we're not truly aware of our mortality because we only think about it whenever someone passes away, like a dear family member or a friend or someone over there. It's not like we're seeing people dying all around us in the streets on a daily, hourly basis. So for people who live under that type of persecution, guess what? The hope of resurrection and the power of the church means way more to them than it does to us oftentimes. And so those who are faithful and carry out the message of Jesus and share it with others in the face of persecution have tremendous success because the people around them need it. They need to hear the message of good news. You and I don't need to focus on trying to save the church. The church doesn't need you or me to save it. The church is us. And what we need to do is obey the teachings of Christ. That's the biggest challenge. If you and I will obey, the church will be more than saved. It will thrive and it will reach people as it did in their day. Look what verse 4 says. But the believers who were scattered shared the good news about Jesus wherever they went. You know, ultimately, I guess that's the message is whenever you're scattered, and scattered can mean a lot of things. For them in particular, when you're scattered means what? Under persecution? Away from your friends and family? They lived in Jerusalem. Now they're not in Jerusalem. Away from their security? Maybe the certainty what they do? They shared the good news about Jesus. And I want you to think about something as we close out today, what we can make of this particular snapshot into the life of these disciples. When you're scattered. When you're scattered, maybe mentally, maybe you're scattered in literally experiencing different things in your life. Maybe where you find yourself today. Maybe you're here, but your mind's not really here because there's a thousand other things out there that are weighing on your mind. When things are scattered in your life, when you find yourself in a place that you didn't expect to be, where you shouldn't be, 
or shouldn't have been. What is, what is your response to that? What do you do? You know what you should do? You should do as the believers did there. Share the good news about Jesus wherever you are. Now, I don't necessarily mean go stand on a box and shout out and preach. That probably is the least effective way to share the good news. I'm not saying that it doesn't ever work, but in most instances, that's probably not the most effective strategy. How do you share the good news with people? The good news of Jesus, wherever you find yourself. You just obey him. You live right. You do what you're supposed to do. When you don't do what you're supposed to do, you ask for forgiveness and you try to do better. We complicate this so much. We try to make it so religious and we try to make it so spiritual that we have no real effectiveness. You know, people that weren't raised in church, they don't, you know, they, their background was not set in stone about who Jesus is or was. They don't have some of those same um, things that they just know. You know, you and I that were raised in a church or raised with a, a foundation of Judeo-Christian ethic, you know, we, we never question that because it's just a part of our upbringing and we forget that that's not everyone. And so they're looking at that as a competing idea versus all these other things that they hear. And so they're looking for something real. And when we try to make it so spiritual or so religious and it's devoid from something that's real, like living our lives according to those teachings, it's not effective. We're just supposed to share the good news about Jesus wherever we find ourselves. In this particular day of such uncertainty, the uncertainty of a storm that is coming, literally. But there's a lot of people with a figurative storm that's approaching. A storm in their mind. A storm in an upcoming court date. A storm in whatever that's, that's, they feel bearing down on them in a very real way, just like somebody sitting in New Orleans or Baton Rouge with a real storm bearing down on them. There's a whole lot of people in hospitals all over this country. And they've got something stuck in their throat helping them breathe. And you know what? They're, wanting, they're, they're hoping that they're going to get out of there and that's not the last thing that they're going to experience on this earth. And I bet some of them are thinking if they're even awake, man, I'd like to see so-and-so one more time. Or I'd sure like to tell my mom or dad this one more time. Or I sure wish I could do this. You see, to them, that's, that's a huge storm that's approaching and it's at their door. Some people are living in fear of that that might happen to them. Uncertain times. The world is full of uncertain times. I want to read you a quote that someone sent me this week that is so appropriate, I believe. Many of you may have heard of probably one of the most 
influential apologists of the 20th century, C.S. Lewis, wrote a number of books, lived an extraordinary life. He lived in the 40s, 30s, 40s, and 50s after World War II. And in World War II, there was tremendous uncertainty. And World War II, if you remember, came to a close because the United States did what? Dropped the atomic bombs on Hiroshima. Was it the age of the internet? People didn't know what was going to happen. If you lived in Europe, most of your entire world was destroyed. Between World War I and World War II, much of the infrastructure, the buildings, it was, it was a tumultuous time of tremendous uncertainty. After that began the arms race between the United States and Russia and ushered in what we now know or what was called the atomic age, all right? And so someone asked C.S. Lewis about the uncertainty of living in the atomic age, the uncertainty that at any point a Hitler or a Stalin or a so-and-so could push a button and the world would be obliterated into nuclear annihilation, a very real threat. And I want you to listen to what he says. And when you hear the phrase atomic age, you can substitute just about anything and it'll make sense. Listen to what he writes. He says, how are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our own situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we still have that. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, a pandemic, a terrorist, or anything else that you could put in there, let that bomb, when it comes, Find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, for even a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. 
man, I can't think of more appropriate words. To be shared in a day filled with uncertainty of all sorts, from all places, from any manner of things. We're not special. We are special because we're created in the image of God, but we're not special in the sense that we're the only people who have ever experienced heartache and pain. The truth be told, we have way less heartache and pain than our forefathers and our ancestors because many good things have happened. But when we face these uncertain times, in whatever shape or form they come, do we retreat in fear, in frustration, and allow the uncertainty and the troubles of this world, the persecution that we may face, cause us to quit living and sharing the good news? How do you share the good news? You know what? You do all those things. You live. You teach. You pray. You continue with your life. You help people. You do all the things that God created all of us to do, and you do them in a way that honors Him. You don't have to be some religious scholar. You don't have to be some priest in a robe or a preacher to share the good news about Jesus. You just got to live your life in a way that tells other people that He matters. And sometimes when you mess up, making it right will help more than always getting it right. Will you and I embrace the good news of Jesus? Wherever we go this week, there will be some challenges. They'll come from all sorts of directions. There are people who are watching this today that are about to face some very serious uncertainty. Don't let it get the best of you. Decide today that no matter what happens, I'm going to share the good news of Jesus, and I'm going to start by the way that I live my life. If you've never embraced the good news of Jesus, if you've never confessed your sins, repented of your sins, and been baptized into faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, nothing is more uncertain than facing your Creator on your own. I would highly encourage you to consider the ramifications of a decision as careless as standing before God and having to say, I was better than them, or I was good enough, or I didn't do that. Friends, throw your lot in with those who say, I can't make it without the mercy and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you need someone to help you with that, don't hesitate. See me here. Contact us. If you can't do that, you can pray right where you are to make a decision like that and then follow up with baptism. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus,
I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit that you will help each of us to face the uncertainty and persecution in our own life with boldness, with strength. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to face fear and doubt head on and to share the message of Jesus with everyone wherever we go. Help us to use words when appropriate and necessary. But help us to use actions at all times. And when our actions do not align with our beliefs, forgive us and help us to seek forgiveness with those we have wronged. As we partake of communion today together, may we celebrate the sacrifice of your son Jesus to pay for our sins. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mike, would you come lead us in our communion <coughs> devotion? Uh, I don't know if I'm on or not, but Todd called me um, last week and said, hey, did you look at the bulletin? I said, no. He said, you got communion. I said, okay. I, I guess I'll plan something. Um, this week with youth, um, we're talking about uh, relationships and how important your friendships, relationships, even uh co-worker relationships are um, and I, I think it's to me it goes kind of 